0: Hey everybody and welcome back to the podcast. Before we get into this week's episode, what it's about and who we have on, we do want to send a shout out to everybody who listens and just the, just the general everybody. We hope you're all taking care of yourselves. Um, this episode was recorded uh, just a couple of days ago. We're at the end of March 2020, so right in the uh, throes of this COVID-19 pandemic, which is affecting everybody. So it doesn't matter what country you're in uh, and listening to this podcast, it's no doubt had a significant impact. Uh, on your life, uh, your work life, your professional professional life, your home life, uh, all types of relationships, safety, everything's uh, at top of mind. So we hope everybody's listening to the experts out there um, doing their best job of following along on which whichever guidelines have been put in place for you wherever you are, uh, that you're listening to the professionals, that we're able to get this behind us as quickly as possible. Um, Everybody's coming together with it, and that's that's kind of a cool thing. So we hope you're doing your best to take care of yourself, your family, loved ones, and uh, just try and look out for one another. This episode, Tyler and I have for a little while wanted to have somebody on to talk about urban cycling. We obviously have lots of people on the show to talk about really epic, endurance sports exploits but the bicycle fits so beautifully in in, into a utilitarian function particularly in urban environments and uh, we wanted to have uh, some conversations surrounding that so we had on tom babin uh, this week so tom is a calgarian like me in 2014 he wrote a book called frost bike which is about winter cycling and, and bike commuting um tom knows an awful lot about urban cycling bike commuting bicycles uh, as, as utilitarian means and a lot of that history too. So we had a great conversation about all that kind of stuff, about urban, urban infrastructure uh, and culture. We really hope that you enjoy it. We'd love to have Tom on. Again, really, he's an expert. You can uh, check him out. We're going to have a bunch of show notes and stuff on our ProKit page, which is where we are archiving all of our episodes. So if you want to search anything in back issues, you can check us out at ProKit we're on there now it's a new platform for endurance athletes and it's really really cool or anybody who's into the outdoors so it's a whole new platform that you should check out uh, and we're going to take advantage of that platform as an archive so if you want to look up tom's book or tom's webpage or anything like that you can check it all out on our ProKit page which we will share on uh, all of our social media channels so thank you again for listening again take care of one another thanks um thanks for joining us we hope you enjoyed the episode So we're, we're here with Tom Babin, who has uh, – w- there's, there's a whole bunch of ways to introduce you, I guess, but author and uh, um, bicycle commuting advocate, I would say, is uh, one of the ways, too, that we could introduce you. Um, we're Tom and I are both at our homes in Calgary separately because we need to be, and Tyler's in Missoula, Montana. Um, so we're recording this remotely. Uh, lo- this is the second podcast Tyler and I have recorded today, actually, but uh, just – it feels weird to have any conflict right now because it's overriding absolutely everything. So we're right in the well. I don't know if we're in the middle or the start or at the end or I don't know what point we're at, but we're in the midst of the uh, COVID nineteen pandemic that's affecting the entire world. So we're podcasting remotely, but it seems like something we need to at least uh, mention is happening. So Tom, what's uh, how how's it changed? your world. Do you, do you normally work from home or are you normally commuting? No, I'm
1: commuting um, on my bike all the time. So this is a big change and it'll be nice to talk about something else for an hour. So I was happy that you guys invited me uh, to chat today. Um, but normally, yeah, yeah I'm outside uh, on my bike a lot uh, year round. So it's uh, an adjustment to be stuck at home All of these days, although I have been getting out a little bit on some solo bike rides, which our health authority still says is okay, so I'm going to take advantage for as long as I
2: can. Yeah, Yeah,
0: I mean, I refuse to not go outside, so I'll I'll run or ride every day, just by myself. But I'll do it. I
2: think. And I think until they tell you you cannot get outside, you know, let's get outside and get some sunlight, some vitamin D, if you can. You know, it does does the body good. Just yeah, it is amazing. But it, it's, it,
1: it's amazing in these moments when you realize how important it is to get outside and get a little activity and you know, how much, how valuable my bike is to my physical and my mental health. It's just getting, it seems to be getting more and more important all the time.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm starting to appreciate it more and more every day I get out and I see other people out too, and they're doing exactly the same thing I'm doing. I'm
0: trying to They're just managing, um, their, managing their headspace.
2: Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. For sure. For um, sure.
0: So Tom, uh, Tom, I'd love to know, like Tom wrote a book called Frost uh, in 2014. I think I've got that right. That sounds about right. Yep. Or, or at least that's when it was published. You were probably working on it for a significant amount of time prior to that. In my head
1: for the 10 years prior to that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. But I, just to, to go even farther back, um, just tell us a little bit about your background and how you got, um, how cycling just became such a prominent part of your life.
1: Well, it was utility mostly. I mean, um, it was me uh, getting frustrated with my daily commute that led me to it, you know, like so many other people who ride their bike to work. You know, I had young kids. I was, had trouble finding time to exercise. I, I loathed the morning commute, sitting stuck in traffic in my minivan. And uh, so I just went for it one day. I guess this was probably 15 years ago now. Um, and I just fell in love with it instantly. Like the, all the great things that you hear from bike, bike commuters, I am hundred percent behind, you know, it made me feel better. It gave me a little activity, made me feel more fit. I was better at work. I was a nicer person to be around. Um, and it gave me a new way to explore my city. You know, you see everything's different from the, the, the perspective is different when you're on a bike and it sort of opened up new ways of seeing the city I we lived in. You know, I got to know other bike commuters and passing them on the street is much different than passing someone in a car. So I just really went all in, fell in love with it, did it in the summer for a couple of years. And then, you know, I'd usually, you know, when the fall came around, I would hang my bike in the rafters and not think of it again until the spring. But it was the same situation as the snow came. I just hated that car commute so much. I just thought I'd pull it down and see if I could go year round and ended up loving all of that, too. So I've been commuting year round for years now.
0: So what, what type of equipment do you typically use for, uh, like, are you riding a fat bike in the winter?
1: <laughs> no, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm sort of the anti-gearhead. <laughs> I, uh, I always say the best bike you have is whatever you've got. So, um, you know, for the longest time in the wintertime, I rode like a, a you know, a, a really junky old specialized stump jumper. I was about 20 years old and, and I converted it down to a single speed because I kept rusting bikes out in the winter. We, we use a lot of salt on our roads here. And so I would ride it for, you know, three or four months of winter and it would be destroyed. I, you know, the gears would all be gone. And so I converted an old stump jumper into a single speed, rode that for years and years just to ward off the rust mostly. Um, and I just converted, got a new bike in the last couple of years where I always said, you know, I was always in my back of my mind looking for like the b- perfect bike for my winter commute, which would have been like a... A bike to ward off the rust. So I was looking for a belt drive and internal hubs and all aluminum parts and fenders and I can never find one. And then I did find one a couple of years ago, built by this online company out of New York called Priority. And they just had this sort of perfect winter commuter bike too. And it's got skinny tires. So I put some studs on it and um, it's got a DaVinci hub on the back, which is one of those ones that's sort of, you loosen and tighten. It doesn't have stepped gears. You kind of like, it works on tension. And I was a little right. skeptical of that one, but it's worked out pretty well for the last couple of years. And it's been great. You know, it does all the things, uh, perhaps my second most important part of riding winter bike is not having to do any maintenance on it. Cause I'm, I'm super lazy that way. I just want a machine that will work. And so this has been, uh, been great that way too. It's just, I just want a bike that I can ride and not have to think about that much. So. Um, it's been pretty great the last
0: couple of years. Do you get studded tires for the winter? I have one studded tire on the
1: front right now, and that seems to do the trick. I don't seem to need need that back one. There are a couple of days when I wish I would have a fat bike, but we don't get a lot of huge snowfalls here. We get mostly little snowfalls and then it, then it gets melted and ice is over again. So, you know, the skinny tires works well because it's kind of a mix of ice and asphalt and packed snow. And so, you know, I always say, like, the kind of winter bike you need depends on the conditions you're riding through. So, you know, for me, this has been working great so far. There are a few days a year when I wish I had a fat bike. And someday, you know, the N plus one will kick in, and I'm sure I'll buy a fat bike. But right now, um, I've got what I need, and it's working. You need a sponsorship. (laughs) Yes.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that would help. I agree.
1: I I need all kinds of winter
2: bikes. i got to try them all, right? All right. Yeah, we'll get we'll, we'll work on one for you. There's All right, definitely Thank there's gotta be
0: some sort of review <laughs> angle there for sure.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. They'll get their money's worth for sure. So so you started riding in the way you decided somewhere around 2014 I'm gonna start commuting year round, I'm gonna like see if I can start riding through the winter. And and with your experience of doing that, that's when you decided to write Frostbook? Is that right? Um
1: yeah, Frostbike. I um it was kind of you know, I've been riding for a couple of years. Uh, through the winter through before that. And it was mostly me looking for resources. I needed some help because, you know, I, it's intimidating to try to ride through, you know, we've got some pretty harsh winters here. Um, uh, and I, it was I was a little frightened about it, too. And I just couldn't find any resources. So I kind of went through it all and figured it out myself and thought I would share. But really, the whole premise of the book was based on, you know, whether riding through a Canadian winter. Is a viable thing to do, or whether it's for crazy people? Because that seems to be the reaction f- to people who ride through winter. You know, you roll into your office in February, and people are like, "Oh my God, you're insane!" Um, yeah. And once I started doing it for a while, it did. Uh, it didn't seem like I was being insane. It seemed to make a lot of sense to be. So I'm like, "What's wrong with me here? What's going on?" So I kind of went with that premise of like, is this a, a viable thing to do? And I sort of explored around the world, looking for cities where it was easy to do, looking for the right kind of bike, the right kind of attitude. And, and that's sort of what led to the book in the first place. Right.
2: So what, do, what to wear on your feet? What do you use those special gloves to go on your handlebars? Like, go. Oh. Yeah,
1: well, there's, there's two schools of thought on this. And I, I learned this uh, having visited some of those great cycling cities of Europe. When I was yeah. researching the book, there's a couple cities in Finland that they are tiny little places and they claim that they're the best winter bike cities in the world. And I visited one called Aulu, which is way, way up north. It's like almost to the Arctic Circle. And um, it's kind of blew my mind what I saw there because I have this really uh, perfect network of bike lanes that are maintained in the winter and they like take the snow down just to like a, a packed snow. They don't clear it down to the asphalt and this packed snow across this really robust network of bike lanes makes it super easy to ride in the wintertime and when i got there you know i came from the north america where everyone's talking about gear all the time and having a fat bike and all this kind of equipment and you know i remember stepping out of my hotel room that morning the first day i was there and seeing like everyone riding like you know those dutch style european bikes where they're just like you know grandmothers with the you know um groceries in their baskets and kids on their summer bikes and families riding together and nobody had any gear and so You know, when you ask them about it, it was almost like, well, what do you need gear for? You know, if it had just been made so easy in that context for them, they they didn't even have to think about it anymore, too. So, you know, coming back from that, I was like determined that I was going to be like that, too. So I just like I'm not dressing up at all. And I wear my blundstones on my feet and my work pants and, you know, maybe put a layer on on those extra cold days. And you can certainly do that depending on the kind of commute you've got. You know um i've got a pretty good commute. you know it's like a seven or eight kilometers and it's it's pretty good in, it's taking a long time to get there but here in calgary it's a pretty good network of separated bike lanes so i'm not interacting with cars a lot and so it's certainly easy possible to do that but i would say not every day some of those really cold or really snowy or really wet days i do sort of gear up and on those days i do have you know a, a standard set where i've got some you know i use hiking boots on my feet some waterproof hiking shoes um you know i layer up uh underneath my pants i've got a waterproof layer on the outside a base uh, you know the merino wool base layer you know the sort of the outdoor wear um it took me a long time to realize not to dress too warmly so here's my mantra now is like dress like a cross-country skier uh, because as soon as you start pedaling you get warm really quickly and then i would arrive at work all sweaty and have to have that shower so it's been kind of a fine line that's uh, that i it took me a long time to get to yeah
2: so what, what would you tell, like, the listeners who think you're crazy to be biking through in the winter, especially in Calgary or somewhere like Missoula, Montana? Yeah, you know, I would crazy. say, uh,
1: yeah, I'd introduce them to that grandmother I met in Finland and say, <laughs> you yeah. know, if she can do it, then it can't be that crazy. Um, and that really was an, an eye-opener for me. It's just like it doesn't have to be practical. or It can be a practical thing. You know, it's a real combination, I found, of the city you live in and their commitment not only to winter cycling but to cycling in general. You know, having a and, you know, what works in the winter also works in the summer, which for my money is separated, safe infrastructure. But you also have to maintain it really well in winter. There are some cities that don't maintain in winter and it's like feels to me like such a waste of a great opportunity. Um, So, you know, that's part of it. And also, you know, the gear is part of it. it. But, you know, with fat biking, there's so much great winter bike gear these days. When I started, there was not a whole lot, but now there's great shoes you can get. And, you know, the clothing is great and the gear is so easy and good. Uh, There's that. But I also found it's um, attitudes, too. Like we have weird. I don't know if it's the same as Montana, but even here in Canada, where I think at one point we prided ourselves on being winter people. I feel like we've lost that over the years. You know, um, we just there's there's still fear of winter out there. Uh, People don't know how to deal with it. And I think a lot of it is attitude. If you get over that fear and I found the more I was outside experiencing it the less intimidating it got you know those really cold days i used to be really scared of and now it's not it's nothing for me so you know just getting out there and doing it 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 makes it easier and then i think you realize it's not for crazy people i think anyone
2: can really do it if they really want to that's great and in the emphasis is pretty uh pretty highly sought after i hear for other cities
1: yeah, I mean, there's a few cities in North America that are pretty good, and I, I've been to Missoula too, Tyler. I think it's that's a pretty good bike city, right?
2: Not bad at all. Not bad.
1: At How all. is it in the winter?
2: You know, I mean, I wish I could say I, I, you know, I rode as much as you in the winter, but I definitely don't. Um, but it's pretty, pretty good. The bike paths are uh, they clear? They do a good job of clearing them. Um, there could be a few more bike lanes here and there, and I wish, uh, yeah
1: yeah it's like Calgary's a bit like that too. I mean, for years and years it was we had a really great pathway network, but it was super disconnected. you know it was built for recreation and not necessarily for transportation. Um, there was kind of a landmark moment about four or five years ago now when somehow city uh, city council, which for years was hostile to the idea of cycling, approved this a complete network downtown, so we've got like uh a a full grid you know two north south lanes two east west lanes that go right through downtown and that was a real game
0: changer um it's awesome uh, for it is for me it is awesome. controversial which seems yes crazy now but (laughs) (laughs) yeah people
1: were losing their minds about it too and and they used to joke that it was the most studied piece of like two miles of asphalt in the world because they measured they had a pilot project and they measured everything, you know, like the number of people using, what types of people were riding, how that changed, the number of collisions, the number of accidents, the way it impacted car traffic. And um, after the pilot project, amazingly, they got approved, you know, and I think it's proven it's worth, you know, cycling numbers have gone up significantly since then, even as the economy in Calgary has not done so well because we're an oil town and as the that industry has faded, so has the economy here. So. You know in the last couple of years all types of all transportation modes into downtown have fallen in numbers including car drivers transit trains buses except for cycling the number of cyclists is still growing so that infrastructure piece is so important i mean i was kind of hopeful that looking back maybe this was naive i thought w- when this network was installed i thought this was going to be like a new dawn for cycling in calgary we're going to get all these great connections it was going to st- keep growing and keep growing and keep growing but that hasn't panned out i'd say we've stalled a bit since then and maybe the appetite for cycling has faded politically um i think their attitude was like hey we gave you complaint you whiners your bike lanes what, what what more do you need but i would say there's um some connections that need to be made and just some even some little just you know finishing things off here and there would make a huge difference so i'm hopeful but um it'll it's going to take some time just like everywhere else
0: what i think is such an important distinction though and i i did uh, that this is unique to calgary i think this is certainly a north america thing that people think that if you're pro cycling or pro bike commuting that you're anti-car and that's not the case in fact almost a lot of my friends bike commute uh, and the most of the ones that bike commute bike commute year-round and they all own cars they just don't drive them to work and back in downtown that's all. Yeah, it's not. You it's know, kind of
1: baffling, isn't it? And then, and by not driving it, I'm helping out the car drivers because it's uh, removing vehicles right. from the road. So, <laughs> yeah, it's it's, it's it's a hard uh, one to figure out sometimes.
0: Yeah, I so I'd like to make it very clear that that's a important distinction for people to know. And just because we're pro bike doesn't make us uh, radical leftists or anything. It just makes sense, right? Especially bike commuting.
1: Yeah, I am in a two car family and I drive all the time. It's just like whenever I can take an opportunity to ride my bike, it's nice to uh, be able to ride your bike in a place that values it and makes you feel safe. And, um, you know, you can be confident in getting there in one piece.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And then, the, sure. you know, can you talk about the frame of mind? Like when you get to work, you know, the frame of mind you're in when you're, you ride your bike versus sitting in traffic and dealing with. You know,
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it like it sort of changes from the worst part of your day to, for me, the best part of the day. Right. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, at the end of the day after, especially the ride home, I find like if, you're, if you've had a stressful day or even just getting outside, just the fresh air, the activity. You know, it's not a long commute I have. Uh, I, I even hesitate to call myself a cyclist because, you know, it's like an eight kilometer, it's like a half an hour ride home afterwards. And sometimes, you know, I'm riding the city bike that's super upright. You know that comfortable riding position. I'm not even wearing a helmet sometimes. I'm just like coasting at you know fifteen kilometers an hour on my way home. And it's just a great way to unwind and it just feels better. And uh, some of my coworkers said to me recently, like um, I, I had been traveling with work for a while and I hadn't ridden my bike to work in you know two or three weeks and one of them was like god we can tell when you don't ride your bike very much <laughs> i think that's the nice way of them telling me i was acting like an asshole at work so
0: <laughs> i, be, I bet your family can tell too <laughs> yeah i think they right. appreciate
1: when i can as well it just makes so, uh, it just changes your whole outlook on things
0: what what do you think okay so this is my very unscientific unmeasured perception of things but i think that winter cycling and bike commuting both but particularly winter cycling has really gotten more popular in the, in the last six years like since the since you wrote that book Let's, so we can give you all the credit for it yeah it's probably me but right? but, but but do you do you do you find that to be the same thing as well like I think it's way more common and there's much more specialized gear and sort of focus on it and I I don't think that that's unique to here. I just think it's it's normal for people to not want to stop riding their bikes outside during the year
1: yeah, I think so. I think fat biking has a lot to do with it. Um, and and even if people aren't out there on the trails in the wintertime, I think like the mere presence of fat biking has sort of changed, sort of opened up people's minds to the possibilities of cycling. So even if you're not out there doing it, I just think you see them around, you realize that uh, cycling is no longer a summer sport, that you can get out there and do it any time. And yeah, I'm totally seeing It's not even, you know, anecdotally, I see, Lots of people on fat bikes on the commute. I see them out on the trails, um, in the trails in the winter time. But I think the numbers would would bear that out. You know, I think uh, there's an explosion of fat biking when they first came out, what ten or ten or twelve years ago, I guess. And they maybe, you know, I think the growth has slowed a bit, but there's it's still there. All the big bike manufacturers are putting out fat bikes now. They're getting better and better. I remember those first ones were pretty clunky and pretty heavy. You know, the the the, the equipment has gotten so much better now too. And more, so there must there's a market for it too, and if you look at countries or cities that take winter cycling seriously in North America, I would say cities like Montreal, uh, Minneapolis, uh, maybe New York a little bit. Um, the numbers would bear that out too. The you know you're never going to have as many people riding in winter as you are in summertime, but uh, we've seen this in other cities is that if you have a good maintained infrastructure in the winter time, the number of winter cyclists is up to where. The same level as the number of summer cyclists was four or five years ago. So I think that's pretty significant. I think what we mostly have seen is about 30% of people tend to ride year round. And I think that's been borne out here in Calgary. Same kind of numbers in Montreal and Minneapolis that I've seen as well.
0: So uh, do you think that Minneapolis and Montreal are the two best examples of big urban spaces that have embraced that?
1: Yeah, I think in North America, year round, I mean, there are other great bike cities. and from what I've seen, I think Boulder is doing a good job, too. I haven't been down there in a few years, but, um, you know, great bike cities like that. I think it's if it's a great bike city, it's going to work year round, no matter what the weather is like. Um, you know, there's always naysayers who say, oh, it's too cold to ride here. There's too much snow um, um, in L.A. They'd say, oh, the distances are too far in Texas. they'd say It's too hot. But if you ever build, if, if it gets built, it, people will use it. I think you in a, in a city, you get what you build for. And if you want cyclists and you build for it, you will get it. Montreal's a really good example because they've been building safe, separated bike lanes for 30 years, since the early 80s. They were sort of out of step with the rest of North America at the time. I think they were a little more connected to what was happening in Europe. But for most of the time, they didn't clear uh, the pathways in, in the winter time. In fact, they would like pull out the posts along some of the bike lanes in the winter and turn them back over to cars. And only, I'd say, in the last four or five years have they actually started plowing properly and keeping those bike lanes open year-round. And you can just see it there. The people, number of people riding, it just it just immediately goes up. So if you, if the city makes it easy and it's a priority, then people will use it.
2: Yeah. And, there's, you know, and there's something about – I love riding in the snow. You know, when I'm warming up, and, uh, there's something very peaceful about it. It's really quiet, you know, hearing the, uh, the crunch of the snow on your tires.
1: Oh, it feels like elemental, doesn't it? Like laying fresh tracks in the snow. It's just yeah. It's just so magical, something about it. I love those days, those commutes home at night, because it gets dark early. If there's oh. light snow falling, you get a fresh dusting on the ground, the snow, the sound is muffled. You know, that's some of my favorite rides now are like that in the wintertime. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
2: Lucky you. Lucky you. And I, I was looking at your YouTube channel. Uh, it looks like you got to uh, test out a lot of the different kind of bikes over the years. So you test out an ice bike with like... Oh, that was game. homemade.
1: That was my homemade ice bike.
2: Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> I was at an event one time and I saw one of these and I thought I should build it. <laughs> you Do
2: you still
1: have that? Yeah, it's hanging in my garage. I actually just have the front fork. So what I did was I took like a front fork off an old bike and I extended it. My, my dad is a, was a pipe fitter. So I took it to his garage and he welded an extension onto the fork. <laughs> And then I cut up an old ice skate and welded that to the bottom of the fork and uh, took that to the rig. And it's actually amazing. You know, the first time I saw this was in a book for, uh, f- where there was a patent for it from like the 1890s where someone did the same thing. They made a bike with an ice skate at the front. And I was very skeptical. But it actually works really well. You know, once you get moving,
2: you have
1: total control over that thing. It's kind of magical, actually.
2: That's great. That's great. So, and then you test Fold up
1: bike I saw that's pretty neat. Um, yeah, there's uh, I tested this year a fold, up, a fold up electric. I think it was a turn. That's the, the brand. I think it's a, a Taiwanese brand. but they had a folded up fold up electric cargo bike that you could probably call a fat bike. It had pretty big tires on it too. And um, it seemed like a great winter machine. So I gave it a shot this winter. The big tires were great. You know electric bikes in, this, in the winter are really good. I don't know what it is about winter but it's just it's a little bit harder to get through especially if you're riding a fat bike you know those tires with the low pressure the size they're crazy of them, slow they're crazy yeah. slow yeah so you've got to put the work in so you know an electric motor on those certainly makes a difference if you're commuting especially if you want to commute and you don't have a shower at work if you just want to get there yeah. and you know wear your work clothes and that kind of thing too yeah. and then um you know it was like it, it held up really well in the snow and the ice can always get a studded tire and those things too, so it was pretty great. And it's nice in the winter too, a fold up bike because here uh, during you can take them on transit as well. So if you get it to work and you know there's some blizzard during the day and you just don't want to, you can't face it on your way home, you could also fold it up and take it home on transit, which is a nice option as well.
2: Yeah, it's pretty neat. You have, you have a pretty cool job,
1: <laughs> yes. It's uh,
2: well, anytime you got it right
1: anyone who gets to ride a bike and write about it or do anything, make it part of their job is lucky. Right. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, And so how long have you considered this your job? Well,
1: I would say it's a, uh, it's my side hustle at the moment. I do have a a regular gig. Um, and, but I just something that's hard to let go. I just love doing it. And, you know, I make it feel, it just makes me feel like, i uh, making a positive contribution in some ways. So I just keep going on it until I get bored or until people stop listening. So, so far, so good.
2: Yeah, do you have anything you can talk about that's coming up that you're working on or any? Uh, anything well, all you- of
1: our pl- all of our plans are on hold these days, aren't they? <laughs> I was actually they recorded are. a video this morning about, I don't know if we want to talk about this, but I was talking about bikes in, in disasters. I wrote a magazine story a few years ago about, you know, bikes as a tool of resilience, as a tool of urban resilience. And, um, you know, I interviewed a woman who was doing a a PhD research in Christchurch, New Zealand, back in 2011. She was doing some kind of research on utility uh, cargo bikes when the, when the earthquake hit there. And she told me this harrowing story of how she uh, you know, emerged from her building and the ground was still heaving and the buildings were falling and, um, the, and the roads were clogged, of course. Everyone was trying to get home and no one could move anywhere. But she was a bike commuter, so she got on her, also a specialized jump jumper, I don't know. Coincidence. It's the stump jumpers. (laughs) Anyway, she got on the bike and uh, made it home in one piece. And she's like, every time there's a, you know, this happened in New York after Hurricane Sandy is like people were riding their bikes. I noticed in New York, New York recently, the, the mayor was asking people to use their bikes instead of getting on the subway as a way of keeping, maintaining that social distance. So I've been thinking a little bit about sort of bikes as a tool of, um, you know, a resilient city, and maybe it's a nice thing to have in your garage, even if you're not a full-time uh, cyclist or anything like that. It's something that maybe it should be part of our toolkits uh, more robustly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. As a, Well, as a tool, as a means of transportation, but also the mental health aspect, again, I think is, even if you don't have anywhere to go, it could be pretty Absolutely. awesome thing to do right now. Yeah, yeah, just get out there, sure. and keep
1: us all sane, sane and healthy too. I do have this fan. I do have winter bike fantasies too. Like a few years ago, I was invited to after as part of my book tour. I was invited up to Yellowknife, which is in the Northwest Territories, which is way up north in the Arctic, and I had never been there before. And my speaking engagement was in a middle of the winter festival. They had built a giant snow castle on the frozen lake. It's called Great Slave Lake. So we all bundled up, and I was pretty- in my yeah, <laughs> in my snow pants. And I gave the presentation, you know, my PowerPoint presentation was up on the snow, on the snow wall. We projected it onto the snow. And then after that, we got in our fat bikes and went for a ride across the frozen lake under the northern lights. So um, it was a pretty uh, memorable moment. So I do have sort of these fantasies of like w- w- ultimate winter bikes. Uh, part of my book, too, there was a story of, from the Yukon Gold Rush of a couple of guys who rode their bikes up the frozen Yukon River to try to beat the, uh, the gold rushers up there. And they actually made it. They, were, they found that they were faster than the horses that were ha- going through at the time because the horses kept breaking through the ice and they were able to sort of uh, ride through. And imagine back then, you know, a bike with, uh, they have, that was even before pneumatic tires. So they were like hollow rubber, like solid rubber, probably frozen, no gears, solid steel frame. And I remember one of the guys wrote that he broke his handlebars in the cold at one point and he used like a pair of deer antlers or something to replace his handlebars. So I thought it'd be cool to recreate that someday, you know, a ride up the frozen Yukon River. Wouldn't that be great?
0: That is crazy. (laughs) That can be in your follow up book. You can tell some stories about the origins of uh, Winter cycle. I don't know how much of of that. (laughs) Did you get into any of that stuff in your existing book?
1: There's a little bit. Yeah. I had that story. How could you resist the guy riding up the frozen Yukon river uh, for the Yukon gold rush? Yeah. But there are story. some great, you know, another good story is out of Alaska too, is the origins of the fat bike is, you know, a guy in Alaska who um, was basically at interbike and saw someone had made these huge tires for riding through the sand. And he had this like brainwave like, Hey, this might work in the snow as well. And he brought it up there and tinkered for years, built a fat bike, um, and um, he had a little bike shop. He tried selling them through. It didn't sell a lot. He, he, um, he did compete in some of the races up there. He did um, the Idita bike, which used to be this bike race that would follow the same route as the Iditarod. Competed there. Never really made, never really made a, a go of selling them. Um, and then he uh, started sharing his, his ideas around. And then some of the other bike manufacturers gave it a shot and found some success. And it kind of passed him by. You know, he's, uh, he kind of gave it up a few years ago. He's very zen about it now. He doesn't feel like he was robbed or anything. He's just like, that's American capitalism at its finest. So he's got a good attitude, even though, you know, he did kind of get a raw deal out of the whole thing.
0: Yeah, I didn't know that either. That's, Great. that's crazy. I've got a book for yeah. you to read. Yeah.
2: What, what's the <laughs> name of it?
1: It's called Frostbike, The Joy, Pain, oh. and Numbness of Winter Cycling. <laughs> sure. Sure.
0: <laughs> where can people, and where can people get it? Is it available in, as an audiobook?
1: Uh, no, there's a, we've got a, um, an ebook version and, uh, there's still, you can, you can get on Amazon, um, and all your favorite bookstores. Okay. Don't go to the bookstore these days. This is, this is when we're allowed to say you should shop on Amazon, right? Oh yeah.
0: For yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but it yeah, should, it's pretty it accessible.
1: It there's a US edition as well. So it's out there. People are looking for it. Uh, and will, will you ever update
0: I, it as, as technology changes and times change? Do you think?
1: yeah i think so i'd love to be able to update it in a few years when more and more cities are on board um you know we're we're seeing more good news from other cities i mean i'm really an urban cyclist it's the commuting that sort of keeps me that keeps me going um so i'd love to see more cities get on board you know i was in minneapolis a few years ago and they've done some amazing things there it's a great city i'd love to go back and report more on what's happening there montreal keeps making uh big leaps and bounds and some of the mountain cities like missoula and boulder and here in, uh, in Canada, there's a few ones that are uh, making good inroads as well. So hopefully it'll keep developing. So I've got a reason to update it.
2: Yeah. Good for you. Good for you. Tom, have you tried bikepacking yet?
1: Uh, I've done a little bit, um, not a lot. I've done uh, a couple of trips and I've got some friends who keep nagging me to do it. So I should get out there and give it a try. Uh, we've got some great backpack bike packing here. You've probably got some great around you too. Hey Tyler.
2: Yeah. Yeah, we do for sure. But yeah, you're in a good area for it. If you want to try it, you can do it. You know, it's easy to get out for a weekend or something.
1: Absolutely. Can I plug another book? Uh, A friend of mine has a book coming out, um, about best bike packing, like a bike packing guide for the Canadian Rockies. And it was written, um, um, a few years ago by, uh, Uh, Ryan Corey, who is an author here in Canada, he's done some epic rides. He did the race across the U.S. Do you guys know Ryan?
0: Yeah, pretty well. Yeah, we were were both at Ryan's uh, Celebration of Life.
1: Oh, good. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's a sad story. He he got sick and died last year Um, and uh, his wife is carrying on the legacy. I think she's been updating the book and hopefully we'll see it in print soon. Um, And we should all go buy it as a tribute to Ryan. He was a great guy. Uh,
0: Sarah Hornby was our first podcast guest
1: great she's yeah. great too there it's uh, i love awesome. what she's
0: doing
2: yeah. yeah yeah good book to check out for sure uh m- maybe someday pete will get i'll get up there and we'll do some of those routes routes or routes whatever you want to call it
0: yeah yeah depends yeah, what should. side of the border you're on maybe Yeah. yeah yeah no he's uh, got some in fact sarah um has a like a I don't know if it's a short documentary or a full-length documentary, but it is going to be coming out, I think, well, I think it was actually set to come out this spring. But I don't know if they'll delay the release of it uh, Mm -hmm. because it was supposed to be, I believe, part of the Banff Mountain Film Festival, which was essentially Sarah and a tiny film crew following her as she rode a bunch of the routes from Ryan's book.
1: Yeah, it's I've hot, actually hot seen hot a summer. sneak. Can I say this? I've, I've seen a sneak preview, yeah. and I highly recommend it. Oh, have you, like, it.
0: Have you seen the whole thing? Oh, <laughs>
1: well, I can't. I've said too much already.
0: Oh, okay, well then, we're, <laughs> you have got us both very excited. Some of the um, yeah. some of the footage that she has um, teased, I'll say, like on Instagram and stuff, it looks it looks really incredible. I'm sure it's really really well done. So I'm jealous yeah, that you've seen hard. it. But I can't Super wait.
1: heartfelt, you know. It's just such an amazing thing that she did, uh to in tribute to Ryan.
0: Aww. Well, we actually, Tyler and I, before we started this podcast, we actually recorded a podcast uh, after the Calgary Bike Show with Ryan. So it's it's Tyler, myself, Ryan, and Tyler's head coach at his training company, Jim Capra, and um, I'm going to re-edit that and release it on adventure audio because it's uh i've re-listened to it i just need to get the right file so that i can do it um but ryan uh ryan's awesome in it and i'd love to i'd love to put it out there it's kind of fun to listen back on because that's what, like three or four years ago now
1: yeah. yeah that'd be great to hear his voice again too and uh, he had a great podcast he had a great bikepacking podcast for a while too so um, i'm sure he's got lots of yeah. nuggets for people to take away from it
0: he yeah. does yeah, yeah. And uh, and that's still all available and it's all out there right so, yeah, as far as back, I know, so, yeah. Yeah, like that. Because if you Canada, want to get into, yeah, bike pack Canada, and if you want to get into into the minutia of planning things and what to pack, and really more geek out on it, uh, Ryan's content was pretty awesome for that.
1: Yeah, he was amazing too. My last, I think, my last bike pack experience was with a classroom full of teenagers. When my kids went with their class. And it was after the floods here in Calgary, I guess that was four or five years ago now. And oh, yeah. um, all the trails had washed out. So we were like fording rivers, like lifting bikes across each other with a bunch of 12 year old 13-year-olds. Oh. And uh, it was one of those epic trips where everyone was like thinking, we're, gonna, we're never going to make it, we're going to die. And then when you get home, all the kids were high-fiving each other and they had this great experience. And it was like a real like, lesson for them in resilience and teamwork and helping each other and that kind of thing. That
0: That's is great. awesome. That was in 13 actually, which is crazy to think that'll be oh, almost that long. Years. Yeah, you're
1: right. 13, seven yeah. years. Yeah. I got to get backpacking more, bikepacking more often.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. So can, before we, uh, before we let you go, tell us about, um, tell us about your website and everything else that you're doing.
1: Yeah. Well, my website's uh shifter.info. It's, uh, mostly it's urban cycling and commuting. I've got a YouTube channel. That I'm putting most of my focus on these days. It's, uh, if you search for shifter cycling in youtube you should be able to find it or go to shifter.info you know it's it's uh, it's my commuting life mostly i'm trying to focus mostly on urban cycling trying out those that urban bike uh, urban bikes there's some reviews there's some gear there's also some you know things about city building uh, um, it's really just trying to get uh, urban cycling into the minds of more people and make it a little bit easier for those of us who are already on board, um, get through day to day. It's just making the bike a more part of your daily life. That's that's the ultimate goal here. That's awesome. Good stuff, Tom.
2: Next time I'm in Calgary, let's get out for an urban cruise.
1: Yeah, that sounds great. It was great chatting with you guys today. I really appreciate the invitation.
2: Hey, thanks for taking the time. Nice meeting it's you. It's our
1: pleasure. Yeah,
0: thank you very much.
2: Yeah, let's circle back maybe in the fall or something.
1: Sounds great. Look forward to
0: it. Love to catch up again. Thanks, Tom. Good to see you. Take care. Take care. Goodbye. Nice to meet you. As we always say, thank you so much for listening. Another big shout out to Tom Babman for spending some time with us. It was a great conversation. Uh, and as we always say, like most of our guests, we'd love to have Tom back on. And we would look forward to that. And uh, as we return to some degree of normalcy, hopefully Tom and I will be able to perhaps get out for a bike ride or even do one of these things in person, uh, as that's permitted as we get through uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. So once again, take care everybody. Thank you again for listening. We really appreciate any reviews or shares or subscriptions that you can do on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. And a reminder that we have archived everything together and we'll continue to add show notes and give uh, some more robust features to what we have for our content. So it's easier to look up and go into uh, the back issues of content that we have for the podcast episodes. And that's all being anchored right now. Uh at a place called ProKit. So theprokit.com is where you can find all of that stuff and we're gonna share that on all of our social media pages. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you soon.